Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, the podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are beginning John chapter 3, and this is going to be a two-part episode on John chapter 3, so part 1 on Monday, part 2 on Thursday. But before we jump in, I do want to make an announcement. If you have questions or you want to reach out and just tell me who you are, where you're listening from, feel free to email me at rootedtogetherpodcast at gmail.com, or you can look in the description of this episode and you'll find it, and you can copy and paste it if that's easier. Also check out our website, which is podpage.com slash rootedtogether. That's with a hyphen between together. Uh, backslash, and you will again find that in the episode notes. And I'd I'd like to hear from you. You, uh, I'd like to build that community as well as you can check out the Rooted Together podcast Facebook page. Feel free to check it out there as well. Leave a comment, uh, and I will hopefully be able to comment back, and we can start conversations. Be thinking about things like you could email me or you could comment on the Facebook on what did God say to you as you read this chapter? What is something that really stuck out as you were reading this chapter? Those are the kind of things that I'm looking forward to hearing from you about. Without further ado, let's jump into chapter 3. And of course, the first part of chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. And within that is John 3.16, which is probably, my guess, the most famous Bible verse around the world, period, Uh, because you can find it everywhere. You can see it at sporting events in other countries as well. So it is everywhere. You see people holding up signs that say John 3.16, and it is a wonderful verse. And today we are going to look at more than just that one verse. We're going to look at the context that surrounds that wonderful verse. In this episode, the main idea being a saving belief. So if you could give it a title, it'd be called a saving belief, because you're going to notice within John chapter 3, and within John as a whole, this idea of believe in the Son, and you will have eternal life. Believe, or belief in the noun form, is going to be a constant thread that weaves itself throughout this book, And so here in John chapter 3, we begin with the story of Nicodemus. In fact, it runs all the way through verse 21. So John 3.16, Jesus is telling this to Nicodemus. But before we jump into Nicodemus' story, who is Nicodemus? Well, we would imagine he is one of the Pharisees. And if you remember, in context from John chapter 2, Jesus has just cleared howls at the at the temple, and he's cast out the people who were selling stuff. He's thrown the money all over the floor. He he called people to treat the house of God as a house of worship, and he angered the religious elites, which would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and here particularly, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And that'll give you a little context as to why we see in verse 1, it says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to him, that'd be Jesus, at night. And so you would ask, why did he come at night? Well, because again, if you look at John chapter 2, Jesus made the Pharisees quite angry. They didn't really much like him. And on top of that, Jesus is beginning to get quite the following. And so he comes to Jesus at night, so not to 
rock the boat. And I know a lot of people will maybe even attack him for that. And why did he come at night? He should not be ashamed. But you can understand his situation. He doesn't fully grasp who Jesus is. And we'll look, we'll look at that in a minute. But he does go to Jesus. And he comes at night because Jesus has caused a bit of a stir amongst the Pharisees. And so he approaches Jesus with this. And again, in verse chapter 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless he were from God. And God were with him. So we see that one, Nicodemus has come to the right person. I just don't think that he understands exactly who that person is. I don't think he fully grasps who he has come to, that who he is saying this to. He's correct that he is a teacher who has come from God. He's not wrong. Jesus did come from God. Remember, John chapter 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it's the Word was God that Nicodemus is still missing. But he's right. He is a teacher. Jesus taught people. He does, in a sense, come from God, though he is also God. He was with God and he was God. Again, John chapter 1, you have to keep going back to to fully grasp who Jesus is. He says, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And again, Nicodemus is not wrong. He's correct. No one could do what Jesus was doing unless God were with him. And we know that part is also true. But again, as true as it is and as right as Nicodemus is, he's going to the right person he has what we would call an incomplete truth. He's not wrong, but he's not fully right, because if all Jesus is is a teacher who has come from God, and all if all Jesus was was someone who God was with, we're still left without a Savior. He's not, just on those standards alone, someone that is going to produce a saving belief, that believing in him will rescue us from our sin and rescue us from the wrath of God, if that was all that it was. But Jesus is much more than that, and he's going to lead Nicodemus in that way. And the book of John as a whole is going to be pointing to Jesus as more than just teacher. Teacher, yes, but more than. More than just someone who can do signs and wonders and miracles, Yes, but because he is God in human flesh. He is the Word made flesh. He's the light of men. And that's that's another theme that will come into play at the end of this chapter. So again, where, where are we? We're at Nicodemus seeking answers. And this is 1 through 15, where he goes to the right person. He has an incomplete truth. And Jesus is about to tell him something that he doesn't fully understand. He doesn't understand the truth because he lacks what we're going to see as spiritual birth. So here's what Jesus does in response. Truly I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which is an odd response to what Nicodemus says. He says, you're a teacher who God is with. You are somebody who has come from God. And you're doing all these signs that no one else could do unless that were the case. And Jesus says, unless someone's born again, you don't see the kingdom of God. And that would seem, again, to be on on the surface an odd response. But Jesus is making a point. He's making a point that you're, you're lacking spiritual vision here, Nicodemus. There's something more happening. See, an incomplete truth that Jesus will not save. If it's Jesus was a great teacher or Jesus was a man who performed wonders, that is not a saving belief. 
That is not a belief that will lead to us being rescued from our brokenness and rescued from our sin. That is not a belief that produces hope. That's a belief that leaves us in darkness. And Jesus is pointing this out by saying he will not see the kingdom of God if you are not born again. And Nicodemus takes him quite literally and says, how can anyone be reborn or born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter into his mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water, which I would, you could take as baptism as well as you know, your first physical birth, and the spirit, and I think that would be the spiritual birth, a spiritual birth, a rebirth, that'd be the whole evangelical being reborn, born of the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God, so it takes a water birth and a spirit birth, and in most of your Bibles, the word spirit there is capitalized, though some don't, uh, because you need a birth, a, a baptism through the Holy Spirit in order to receive that second birth. And so he continues on, whatever, in verse 6, whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. Why? Because one, Nicodemus has the physical birth. He is flesh, but he needs to, if he's going to see Jesus properly, if he's going to have a belief that would lead to rescue from his sin, he's going to need a spiritual birth, spiritual vision that comes through a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't look too much into what I'm saying there. It's just the idea of being reborn, baptized by the Spirit, the Spirit of God uh, being with the person. And Nicodemus needs that. He's looking at Jesus through worldly eyes, and therefore he... Therefore, he only sees earthly things, and Jesus is inviting him to look at the spiritual things. Verse 8, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going, but you know they're born of Spirit. He goes, the Spirit does what the Spirit does, is what he means. And there's a little bit of wordplay that Jesus is doing there because the word for wind and the word for spirit are very similar, almost identical. So he's kind of playing with words. It makes it a very tricky verse to translate. Uh, verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He doesn't get it. So he, he asks, first he takes Jesus very literally with the reborn thing, and Jesus says, no, you don't get it. Flesh is flesh. What is born is spirit is spirit. You need a spiritual birth to see things spiritually. And he says, I don't get it because he lacks that spiritual birth. And Jesus says in verse 10, Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? This is someone who sought God through his word. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament. Nicodemus knew the word of God as well as anyone in that time period would have known, at least on the surface, but he yet did not see the spirit behind the words. They were just words on a paper to Nicodemus. He needs spiritual sight to see the truth. In verse 11, truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. And Jesus is basically saying, I've been teaching, I've been pointing to God, you haven't accepted it. If you, if I had told you about earthly things, and you don't believe, how will you believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now he's going to reference Daniel in chapter 7, the Son of Man coming down on the clouds from the Ancient of Days. That title is very intentional, and Nicodemus would have picked up on that title instantly. He would have picked up on the fact he was referring back to Daniel 
that he is the one that was descending from the ancient one. He is the one that was with God, who was God. And then he goes in 14, he's going to now reference the book of Numbers. Again, something that Nicodemus would have picked up on. He says in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that, and this is the first of three times you'll see this, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So what is happening there? If you don't know, in Numbers, there is a a part where Israel is in the wilderness and they're getting bit by snakes. Those snakes were sent by God as judgment for not trusting in him. And those snakes, when they would bite people, they were deadly. But God did not leave them to die in the wilderness. He had Moses erect a serpent staff and they rose it up or would raise it up. And anyone who was bitten, dying, who would look at it would be saved, would live. They wouldn't die. And he's saying, just like that staff was raised up in the desert, and just like if you were dying and you looked at it, you, were, you would live, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. He's referring to his crucifixion. He will be lifted up, and those who believe in him will have eternal life. So what kind of belief in Jesus leads to eternal life? Just from verse 14, it is the one that is life, life-sustaining. Life depends on it. You were dying. We have been bit by a deadly, the deadly snake of sin, if you follow the metaphor. We're dying in our sin. It is, it is a terminal illness, and the only chance at life is to believe in, and by believing we look up to, it is a belief that says, if I look to Jesus, I will not die. If I look to Jesus, that is the only way that I can live, because any other way left them dying because of the snake bite. And Jesus is saying, any other way will leave you dead in your sins, but you have to believe in the sense that it is a life, you, you put everything on the line. My life depends on my believing in Jesus, because any other way will leave me dead. And that is the kind of belief in Jesus that will lead to eternal life. Now in verse 16, so follow follow that, so... Yeah, verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And verse 16, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, and so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So again, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's parallel to what he just said in verse 15. Just as you were to look up to Jesus who has been lifted up on the cross, and if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. It says God loved the world in this way that he gave his son to die on that cross, that everyone who believes in the son will have eternal life. But again, that belief is qualified. If you qualify, what does that mean to believe in the son? It is the belief that if I don't look to him, I will die. He's the only, the only way that I may live. And that is a gift of God given to us. It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus, This is why I have come, to be lifted up so that those who believe in me will not die. Just like the Israelites would look at that staff in the desert. God loved the world so much that he gave me to come to the world, to die so that those who believe in me put all their hope and all their trust in me and live their lives for me, will not die, but they will have eternal life. He doesn't need to come into the world to condemn it. Why? Just as Israel didn't need this, they needed the staff because they were already bitten by the snake, right? So follow the thought. 
He doesn't need to condemn the world. The world's condemned already. The world is dying of sin. He came to save it. You don't come to save something that's not already condemned. And if you didn't catch that point in verse 18, he furthers that by saying, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. What is he, what is he saying? He's saying, the world is already condemned. Jesus did not come to further condemn a condemned world. He didn't come to point fingers at those who were condemned and say, well, tough luck. You deserve what you get, even though we do deserve what we get in that sense. But yet he came to save it. Yet he came to say, if you believe in me, you will not be condemned, but you will be saved. You will be raised to life. Verse 19, this is the judgment. So here's the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So if you were thinking to yourself, well, why is the world condemned already? You know, if you didn't, if you've been walled in your whole life and you haven't looked at the brokenness of the world around you and you said, because really that should be your clue, right? But if you said, why would he already have condemned the world? Well, it's because of this. Because people love the darkness. He brought the light and people love the darkness because their deeds were evil, and they wanted to keep them hidden, and the light reveals that, and so they would rather live in the darkness, continue in their evil, than be in the light. Well, what's the light do? For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, and therefore is condemned, so that the deeds may not be exposed. But, in verse 21, this is where we'll end it, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. So if you live by the truth, you come to the light that his works, instead of being hidden, may be shown to be, now watch this, accomplished by God. They're not accomplished by themselves. They're accomplished by God. That is what a saving belief looks like, that God has done the works through you because you have put all your faith, all your trust, all your hope. That is because you realize there is no life outside of believing in Jesus, and therefore God's work, God God works through you, and those things that are shown are accomplished by God. Your evil works are gone, and all that remains are the works that God has accomplished through you. So let us end it with this. We often come to Jesus like Nicodemus. We have an incomplete knowledge of Jesus, and we come to him for an answer without realizing that he is the answer. Jesus is the source of spiritual birth. He is the source of spiritual life and eternal life. And our belief is to be grounded in Jesus. He is to be like the staff raised up in the desert by Moses. Look to him and live. Don't look to him and die. It would be the opposite, right? Um, He is the piercing light. In the light is life. Remember John chapter 1, belief in Jesus is much more than just intellectual answers. We have to have more than just the intellect. We have to have the heart and the belief behind it and the life behind it. But instead of being just intellectual, Jesus is much more. He is life-sustaining hope in the face of death. Look up and believe today. And if you are already a believer, renew that today. Marvel on that today. I'd like to thank you for joining me in John chapter 3, and I look forward to joining you in the part 2 of John chapter 3 next time. 
I'll see you there.